I'm Hillary. I'm Emily. And, and we're, we're the, the sirens. sirens. Today we are talking about the movie Neptune's Daughter, which is a 1949 movie that has musical elements, romantic comedy elements, some swimming. Uh, it was uh, produced by Metro Goldwyn Mayer, and it stars Esther Williams, Red Skelton, Ricardo Montalban, uh, Betty Garrett, Keenan Wynn, uh, Javier Cugat, and Mel Blanc. Uh, it was directed by Edward Buzzle, and it features the Academy Award-winning song, Baby, It's Cold Outside, which we are going to discuss at length, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> yes, I've been waiting for this opportunity. <laughs> we won't even discuss the movie. We're just talking about the song. So this is a film about a guy, a girl, and a swimsuit. Aquatic ballet dancer Eve Barrett takes a job with Joe Backett at the Neptune Swimming Suit Design Company. Not only is she an athlete, but she's also a shrewd businesswoman and a creative powerhouse. Plus, she's a protective sister to man-crazy Betty, who is dead set on falling in love with a member of the visiting South American polo team. Due to some mistaken identity, she does, in fact, fall in love with someone associated with the polo team. Their masseur, Jack Spratt, who's played by Red Skelton, who goes along with the ID switcheroo with Jose O'Rourke, who actually is part of the South American polo team. He's the captain. And he goes along with it because he really wants to get a girl. Concerned about her sister, Eve calls Jose O'Rourke to her office in order to forbid him from taking advantage of her sister. But it's the real Jose O'Rourke who shows up at her office. Farce, random musical numbers, a little bit of water ballet, and romance ensue. That's the... The basics of of this of Neptune's daughter. I want to say, Hill, once again, I snuck in a backdoor musical <laughs> onto the podcast <laughs> without even knowing that it was a musical. I think backdoor backdoor musicals are uh, definitely on brand for us. Yeah, they are. Well, I bioed Ricardo Montalban, uh, who played Jose in the movie. And I apologize in advance for my Spanish pronunciation. I do not do romance languages. Um, <laughs> We're a German speaker and a French speaker trying to deal with some Spanish language during this episode. So we should um, just have a disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, we should. <laughs> Don't add us. Um, I recognized him in the movie, but I couldn't place where. And that as I was looking into his bio, I was like, oh, he's been in everything. <laughs> so Ricardo Montalban was born on November 25th, 1920 in Mexico City and grew up in Torreon, the son of Spanish immigrants. When he was a teenager, he moved to Los Angeles to live with his brother, Carlos. They relocated to New York in 1940 and Montalban earned a minor role in the play Her Cardboard Lover, beginning his acting career, and he soon began to appear in short jukebox musicals as an extra. Late in 1941, Montalban returned to Mexico after learning that his mother was dying, and he stayed for a couple years and acted in a dozen Spanish-language films, and he became a huge star in Mexico. MGM saw his films and cast him to play a bullfighter opposite Esther Williams in Fiesta in 1947, which was shot in Mexico. And the movie was super popular, and MGM signed him to a long-term contract. Uh, he again appeared with Esther Williams in On an Island with You in 1948 and Neptune's Daughter in 1949. So this was their final pairing, actually. Mm -hmm. 
Um, his acting career spanned seven decades, and he appeared in a variety of genres from crime and drama to musicals and comedy. Among his other notable roles were Armando in the Planet of the Apes film series from the early 1970s. And then, I think that's what I recognized him from, actually. Yeah. And then Escape from the Planet of the Apes in 71 and Conquest of the Planet of the Apes in 72. Oh. He played Mr. Rourke on the television series Fantasy Island in the oh. late 70s, early 80s. <laughs> it's <laughs> making Con- so much sense now. <laughs> I know. Doesn't his face just seem... And his yes. voice, too, I think is very distinctive. Mm-hmm. And Khan Noonien sing in both the original Star Trek series and the film Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. He won an Emmy for his role in the miniseries How the West Was Won and a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Screen Actors Guild in 1993. He continued working into his 80s when he provided voices for animated films and commercials and appeared as Grandfather Valentine in the Spy Kids franchise. And during the 70s and 80s, he was a spokesman in automobile advertisements for Chrysler, including those in which he extolled the rich Corinthian leather used for the Cordoba's interior. Sure. I'll buy a car from him. Fine. (laughs) I would, too, with that voice. (laughs) Yeah. Montalban was a practicing Catholic, once claiming that his religion was the most important thing in his life. He was a member of the Good Shepherd Parish and the Catholic Motion Picture Guild in Beverly Hills. And in 1998, Pope John Paul II made him a Knight of the Order of St. Gregory the Great, which is the highest honor a lay Catholic can get. And he was married to his wife, Georgiana Young, for 63 years, and they had four children together. Hashtag goals. I know. (laughs) And she died just like a year before he did. And on January 14, 2009, Montalban died at his home in Los Angeles at age 88 from congestive heart failure. Wow. So... Yeah, he had quite the career. Yeah. I think when I was reading about him, I was the most struck by just how versatile he Mm -hmm. was because he could sing and dance really well, but he also did all these action and adventure movies and he did comedy stuff too. So I'm trying to, yeah, I can't think of many performers who could do all of that. Well, aside from Esther Williams, who could do all of that and also swim. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Although he was swimming a little bit of this too. Mm. Yeah, I guess you're right. But not, not quite with the same prowess. (laughs) Uh, Hill, do you have any trivia from this movie? Yeah, I have a couple of pieces. One is that the song Baby It's Cold Outside was actually not planned to be in this film, which might make more sense. And it actually took the place of Frank Loser, who wrote the song. He had written a different song that was supposed to be in this movie that was called I'd Like to Get You on a Slow Boat to China, which you can actually hear the musical theme of that song in some scenes still, um, if you're familiar with that that song but the Hayes office thought it was totally inappropriate and so they put in baby it's cold outside instead which I have so many issues with but how is that less appropriate I know it's yeah it's not about sexual harassment it's about sexual assault so it's fine um (laughs) so baby it's cold outside was nominated for the academy award for best original song and won the that award but when it was nominated other song rest- songwriters actually protested because he had written the song in 1944, so five years before this movie was writ- uh, was produced, 
in order for him and his wife to have a duet to sing at parties. And so his competition argued that it wasn't, it couldn't really count as an original song, but the Academy ruled that because the song had never been performed professionally before it appeared in the film, then it still counted as being original. There was a specially built one-of-a-kind piano that was uh, appeared early on in, or it had to be used in some way um, during like early filming of this movie, and then halfway through production, it mysteriously disappeared from the set. And whoa, uh, yeah. And uh, Metro Goldwyn Mayer's bo- uh, like boss Louis B. Mayer was very upset because uh, he was like, you know, this place needs to have more security and because of the the loss of this piano the increased produ- there would be increased production costs red skelton like went to the studio head and said hey i have an identical piano at home that you know that i'd be willing to rent to the studio of course mayor didn't really believe him that that could be possible so red skelton drove him to his apartment so he could see this this identical piano louis b mayor was ecstatic and he offered to rent it from uh red skelton for 50 dollars a day and you know what yeah Uh uh-huh and red skelton held out until the offer was a thousand dollars a day and so Louis B. Mayer said, sure, fine, whatever, $1,000 a day. And it apparently never occurred to him that Red Skelton and the stagehands had stolen the piano in order to rent it back to the studio, and they all split the money. What? I don't even know. Like, How is that possible? I, like, <laughs> I don't know how it wouldn't occur. So was it, in, was it intended as like an elaborate practical joke, or was it intended as, like, we want to make money out of you? I probably both. Who wow. Because I was gonna say you'd have to have help to steal a piano. Yeah. Like that's not something you could just easily take off the lot. Right. Yeah. Which is why he like you know had some stagehands in it to help get help him get the piano off the lot. If you're making a thousand dollars a day on it, you can afford to split the money. I guess that's a lot of money. Cut <laughs> <Pettis>. it. <laughs> yeah. Just a few other bits of trivia. This is one of the first films to depict the use of a television set. It also is a rare on-camera appearance by uh, legendary voice actor Mel Blanc, who speaks in a Mexican accent. It's very similar to the Speedy Gonzalez voice that he would use a few years later for Warner Brothers cartoons. What? Yeah. Okay. I thought that. I was like, he sounds like Speedy Gonzalez. And I was like, no. Yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> it's not your imagination. I feel like I should start off by saying I'm sorry. <laughs> I chose this movie having not seen it before. I just picked, I wanted us to do an Esther Williams movie. So I picked a random one and I thought this was one of her more famous ones. I wrote several times in my notes, OMG, this movie is terrible. This movie keeps getting worse and worse. (laughs) And I don't know if that was the way you reacted to it as well. I was expecting like a frothy summer romp that involved like a ton of synchronized swimming. Oh, you you weren't expecting a song about snow falling taking place in California? You you weren't expecting that? Yeah, when that happened, I was so confused. I was like, wait a second. Isn't it summer? There's all these outdoor bathing suit scenes and everyone's swimming. Yeah. No, um, I my feeling about most of the movie was like, okay, this is a silly movie that has like 
a pretty silly premise. The plot is kind of thin, but whatever. I mean, like, the women are funny. Eve's character is fairly strong, like, relatively strong. There's, like, some weird cultural appropriation happening in a couple of parts of this movie. And if you forget about the song, Baby, It's Cold Outside, it's, like, I really, you know, I enjoyed it. Like, it was, like, 90 minutes of my life that, like, not the worst experience. But... <laughs> it sounds but, like you liked it better than I did. I think I might have, except for five minutes of the song Baby It's Cold Outside, which is a song that I hate, and I have always hated, and then to find out that it, like, premiered in this movie where it doesn't make any sense at all, <laughs> to me, that's well, the lowest point. <laughs> I, well, yeah, I should say, like, I didn't think the entire movie was terrible. The costumes were great. Yeah. It was very high production value. The band was great. I actually really liked the stable setting and that there were a lot of horses in it, although I had some questions about how the horses were being treated at certain Mm -hmm. points in the movie. And I thought Betty was really funny. Like, I actually thought she was probably my favorite character. Mm -hmm. I'm not a Red Skelton fan. Mm -hmm. I am not surprised um, to hear that. Well, it it might surprise you to hear that I had a great uncle who was very into him. And when I was a kid, he used to come over to our house for visits and bring his Red Skelton records and force us to listen to them. And I did like him then. And I don't like him now. Like, can you imagine like seven-year-old Emily being forced to listen to Red Skelton stand up? <laughs> you, you weren't amused by that? <laughs> Um, I'm shocked. So shocked, I tell you. The those are the things I would say were good about it. I thought all the men in the movie were pretty terrible. Pretty much all of them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could say that Joe was, you know, the the swimsuit guy was the least terrible. Are you kidding? I hated him the most. He, how could you hate him more than Jose O'Rourke, who like actively is seeing other women in front of, uh, I didn't say he was good. I'm just saying he's not the worst. No, but like, he did that classic guy terrible. thing where he's just like, in your life and some other, first of all, he leached off of her. He, the whole business was basically just Eve. She did the designs She was really good at the business stuff. So he was just, like, making money off of her. And then he did that annoying thing that guys do where they think just because they're in your life in some sort of, like, established capacity that that means you're dating. Yeah. Or, like... Have exclusive rights over you. Yes, exactly. And I hate that. And and also his narration was annoying, so... Well, the narration was totally, like, not necessary. What is the point? Except for that you needed, like, it was a vehicle for Keenan Wynn, so... Who I normally love, but, you know, here he's just, like, this whiny guy. I don't love him, but he's just, like, the the least bad of the three men. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> three I mean... Terrible men. <laughs> so there's him who's terrible. He gets real, like, aggro with Eve when she's dating someone else. Then Although she backs, he backs up at the very end, and, like, when yeah. it's clear that she, like, just wants to be with, you know, Jose or Rourke, he, like, helps facilitate it so, like, she gets this, the surprise of this man in her swimming pool. Well, that was, like, a total 180 that I thought was implausible. Uh, yes. Oh, oh, well, I mean, the rest of this movie is extremely plausible, so... <laughs> Well, so let's let's go through the rest. So there's Jose. <laughs> the rest of the terrible men. <laughs> let's. I wanted like let's go through <laughs> Jose, who 
you know, clearly is a womanizer. Like, you could see that he's, like, charming in a certain way. And he's a womanizer. And he basically tricks Eve into going out with him. Mm -hmm. And is very aggressive with her. Like, she has... She keeps having to, like, move his hand off her knee. So that I didn't like. And then Jack Spratt. That that part didn't even make... I mean, I know the whole, it's just supposed to be absurd, but, like, he kept up this elaborate ruse for a really long time. And then at the end, when it's revealed that he's not Jose, he's just like, yeah, I'm not Jose. Like, yeah. he doesn't even care. Yeah. And then Betty's just like, I don't care. We're together. I don't care that you lied to me and pretended to be a completely different person <laughs> and pretended to speak Spanish. And so that's that's my rundown. Yeah. So they're, in other words, they're no good men in this movie. No. They're good horses. <laughs> I did think, I agreed with you that Eve was strong. I mean, one of the things that was really disappointing to me in the movie is she didn't actually seem very into Jose. Like, it wasn't clear yeah. to me what won her over. And it had only been a couple days and all of their dates went terribly. So I'm like, all of a sudden she wants to marry this dude? Yeah. Like, that's what that made no like, sense. Apparently, Emily. <laughs> And when she was talking to Joe, it was like, I've known this dude for four days. Um, we're going to get married. I'm leaving for South America tomorrow and leaving the business. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Eve. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's Eve. back up a little bit here. Back it up a little bit. I mean, like, yes, I, you know, in my, my mind in that part um, immediately went to like logistics. You know, I was like, how, like, what do you, how, what are you going to do with your apartment? I mean, I know that, like, Betty lives there with you, but, like, uh, what's Betty going to do? You know, what are you going to do with your stuff? Like, how is your stuff going to get to South America? How are you going to, like, divest of all of the swimsuit business stuff? Like, you have real financial interest in this uh, swimsuit business. Yeah, I don't know. That, like, that seems shocking to me because a lot of her character was sort of tied up in being this, like, serious, responsible businesswoman. And the fact that she just would toss it aside yeah. like that. Well, I was then like, well, I don't know who you are then. <laughs> yeah. Well, it reminds me a lot of the dynamics. I, I don't know if it's just because it's two sisters in White Christmas where there's, like, the dynamic of the older sister versus the younger sister, and the older sister is very, like, responsible. And then she has the audacity to fall in love with someone, and she, like, won't, like, entertain that possibility until her sister is taken care of. And just, like, and then, like, totally loses, or those characteristics just, like, fall away at some point in the movie. You're like, is this the effect of what real love is like? <laughs> Just, yeah. I mean, it did occur to me, this movie came out in 49, and I feel like we were moving into that very regressive, like, post-war phase. Yeah. And you could see, like, the difference from even a movie made, like, five years prior. Just the idea that, like, a woman will kind of throw her entire life over once a man takes an interest in her for a very brief period of time. Yeah. Seemed very, like, prevalent in a lot of that, in that time, in the 50s movies, for sure. Yeah, I really wished that she had the, like, presence of mind to say, like, I really like doing these things that I'm obviously really good at, and I want to continue to do those things. Yeah, you're right, because, you know, what's-his-name didn't do very much. <laughs> he didn't have to. Yeah. Joe was just, like, making, making bank and doing nothing. 
And then he got the whole business in the end. Yeah. Yeah. So what did he have to complain about? <laughs> what did you think of Betty and her character? On the surface, she was pretty hilarious. But like the minute you like scratched the surface, it was totally absurd and ridiculous and like unbelievable and just silly. I mean, I kind of liked that she like in the beginning says outright what's wrong with a woman chasing a man and kind of like pursued what she was after yeah when that wasn't typical but <clears throat> she reminded me a little bit of um who's the character in Oklahoma Adelani or oh Ado Annie mm-hmm. yeah Ado Annie yeah sort of like a different a subversive like take on women's sexuality mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I don't know like how much that was intended or not but yeah <laughs> Or I think they were just kind of like, isn't it hilarious when a woman throws herself at a man and it's, like, so embarrassing? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was definitely, like, played for comedy rather than anything else. Yeah. A couple of the Red Skelton bits were a little bit funny. But yeah. Like, I, yeah, I have a note about how all the, like, the, there, you know, some of the Spanish stuff was funny. Oh, yeah, Mike laughed at... A bunch, so he can like understand some Spanish, and when they had that um, Spanish language record on, and he was pretending to speak, mm-hmm. apparently the record was just saying nouns. Like yeah, it was just vocab words. Of, yeah, <laughs> and Mike was like, "They just said beans." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just vocab words. <laughs> yeah, so like that, I thought was pretty funny, and a couple of things, but others I really didn't care for as much. Yeah. And I don't know, I found him kind of distracting in this movie, because, like, I don't, I was like, is this movie, like, a vehicle for mm-hmm. him? Yeah, or who is, is it this, really... yeah, who is this a vehicle for? Mm-hmm. Exactly, because, like, it felt like the dominant storyline was supposed to be Esther Williams, but the Red Skelton Betty storyline took up, I would say, probably as much time. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, like, and the bits were long. I mean, I, the... Like, the whole bit towards the end with the horse, where they're, oh, like... that made me very upset. As someone who loves horses, I was like, this poor horse, they're, like, brutalizing, people are standing on him, kicking him. Yeah. Yeah. It was ridiculous. And I was like, is this, this is just a, like, for him to be silly. And I guess, like, also for Betty to be silly, too, it was, like, showcasing her... Like, it was just a showcase for, like, their shared silliness was like fine for like two minutes but like after you know six minutes or whatever I was like okay we gotta like move on guys (laughs) yeah kill it before it dies this is no longer funny (laughs) it was really long and like honestly it's not that hard to get on a horse even if you don't know he had like five people helping him yeah get on the horse let's go and I mean I know that was just supposed to be silly but like no one on the entire polo team says like hey this guy isn't on our team I know (laughs) at any point yeah at no point they're like hey this is not (laughs) can we talk about the fashion a little bit only if we can talk about how I would like to wear every single suit um, Esther Williams wears in this. Yes, she looked so good. And it was almost like a little bit severe, but like mm-hmm. in a good way. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Like, there, it was a lot of high neck stuff, like, a lot of shoulder pads. Mm-hmm. And she already had the, has that, like, swimmer's physique with, mm-hmm. like, the broader shoulder. I just thought she looked good. I also liked her glasses. Mm-hmm. She just looked... Di- I don't think I've ever seen anyone costumed quite that way. Yeah. <laughs> in a movie. Yeah. She, yeah, she looked like a professional who, like, was in charge and uh, knew what she was doing. And I appreciated that. Yeah. I liked that a lot. What did you think about the band? It was not clear to me why there were... Firstly, why there were musical numbers in this movie. And secondly, why we kept coming back to this orchestra. I mean, you mentioned earlier, like, who is this? Like, is this a vehicle for Red Skelton? Is it a vehicle for Esther Williams? Like, in my mind, is, like... The question also is like, is this a vehicle for the to showcase the orchestra? It ends up being not very cohesive. Yeah, I, I agree, and it it seemed like they were trying to go for that sort of like Latin nightclub vibe for that part of it, but it didn't really have anything to do with the rest of the movie. Yeah, except for there that they were in California, where, let me tell you. There is no snow on the ground. So once again, why are they singing? <laughs> Maybe it's cold outside. It's not cold. <laughs> yeah, I thought, was it supposed to be funny that they were saying that? Like, I don't know. Is a song about sexual assault supposed to be funny? Who knows? I mean, clearly they thought it was supposed to be funny because when they reversed the roles with Betty and Jack, it was like, isn't this hilarious? Now the woman is trying to take advantage of the man. Yeah, hilarious. I hate that song so much. And then when it was in this movie and turns out it was introduced to the public in this movie where it didn't make any sense, I didn't know that I could hate the song any more than I already did. And yet here we are. I hate this song. (laughs) Tell us how you really feel. (laughs) Well, I've heard so many different versions of the song. Like there's some where it seems like it's trying to like downplay the sexual assault and make it just be like this is just our repartee Mm -hmm. kind of thing Mm -hmm. this was not one of those versions this was like i mean i'm making yeah yeah i didn't not only was it about sexual assault it didn't make any sense at all he made her a drink two seconds later she she's like i gotta go which i'm like why did you take like what like why did he make you a, a drink if you're gotta go and then you haven't we have not seen you take a drink from the drink and you're like, what's in this drink? I don't know. And then you're talking, singing about snow up to your knees. You are in California and it is the summer. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, there's literally swimsuit outdoor scenes like throughout the movie. Yeah, yeah that was one thing I, I just didn't get with her is that he would be really aggressive like of trying to get her to stay with him or go out with him. And she just went along with it. Well, in the beginning, in that first scene where he, like, lures her back to the stable and then has the band, because apparently there's a band uh, in the stable, like, they, like, strike up the band and, like, play some song and there's some musical number and she just, like, gets in her car and drives away, uh, which I appreciated and was, like, good, let's, like... Stay on this line. Live your life, not with this guy. Yeah, I really didn't like how he was driving her car and then he took the key and put it in his pocket. I was like, ah, that like gave me such creepy vibes. Yeah. Oh, yes. One of the notes from my movie is why is he driving her car? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there were other... There were other songs in the It felt like there weren't enough songs in the movie to make it a true musical. So it just seemed weird. Yeah. 
Right, enough songs to justify, like, some scenes with uh, an orchestra in a nightclub with some, like, some cultural appropriation going on, but not enough scenes that it was, like, you know, people randomly breaking into song in the middle of a business meeting, for example. Which is what I prefer. Yes. If people are going to be breaking into song, they better be doing it randomly. Yeah, just commit to it. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, that some of the musical numbers were, and they just meshed a bunch of cultures together, and there were, there was like indigenous stuff. Oh. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And. Some like references to like Africa. Yeah, that had nothing, like they just were like, let's just blend everything except white, and we'll do some musical numbers. (laughs) And the, but they were really elaborate too. They had like all these dancers. They like that was like a like it was like a forty piece orchestra or something like that. Yeah, some elaborate cultural appropriation and racism happening right there. We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. I think. Are you ready to talk about social justice <laughs> stuff? Since we kind of just touched on that. I don't know. Do you think that this movie has any elements of social justice in it? Um, no. <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's anything. The lead couple is, is that technically like a interracial couple? I think so. So like, I guess you could say that for 1949 is somewhat progressive, but no, I don't think it is social justice <laughs> Yeah. And like, it sort of like almost approaches... That not only the, like, interracial couple, but also, you know, this woman at the helm of a, like, business, but doesn't actually, like, go all the way and, like, fully explore what that means. Yeah, it just, it didn't seem very concerned with, it was just supposed to be, like, something light, mm-hmm. I think, and they weren't really dealing with anything serious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been living my own life, making my own decisions for a long while now. It's impossible to go back to being treated like a child again. Well, what about the Bechdel test, then? I, um, I've been trying to remember whether the sisters talk about much besides Jose O'Rourke. Eve talks to their maid, maybe, about things other than men. But maybe she's talking to the maid about Betty and men. Yeah. They, yeah. Oh, um, also in the, <laughs> in the non-social justice realm, you know, they have, um, a black servant, uh-huh. and then, did you notice that all of the servants for the swim company were Asian women? Oh my god, I forgot about that. Who I, who, yeah, so, just wanted to make note of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, like, made some note about, like, oh, at least... You know, the Matilda, the maid, doesn't have, isn't, like, an overly pronounced, like, mammy figure. Yeah. But, like, it's it's not great at all. Um, no part of it is great. <laughs> I was trying to think, is there another, is there, like, an older woman at the business who Eve talks to? I, I mean, very, very briefly, they're talking about, like, a design for a swimsuit where she's, you know, talking about things that need to get changed, and, you know, I think that woman is like, you know, yep, I'll do that right away, or something like that, but it's not a, like, really substantive conversation. No. So, we'll, let's just say it doesn't pass. Yeah, let's just say it doesn't pass. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of a shame for a movie where there's, like, a strong 
female business owner. Yeah. And there's no conversations that aren't just about men. Yeah. So lots of opportunity. <laughs> oh, I also wanted to say, I forgot to mention this during the bio part. It, like at the end, Jose gets in the pool and starts doing some of the like water ballet with Eve. And like he also is super, they're like two of the fittest people I've ever seen. I know. I know. It's like a sports and, movie. <laughs> I like, know. And, I mean, it kind of is. There's polo, there's swimming. Mm-hmm. I read that he stayed really fit his whole life to the point that when he was like, like fairly older and he appeared in movies, like there were always rumors that he was using prosthetics because people didn't believe that he could be oh, that really? fit. But it wasn't actually true. He just actually, he just like really watched his diet and worked out a lot. Yeah. So I just felt like I needed to mention that. <laughs> um, so are you ready to rate Hill? Yes. I think I would give it a two and a half. Whoa. What do you, what would you give it? Which is bad for me. Two and a half is bad for me. I know. Oh gosh. I don't know. I was going to go somewhere around a two or maybe a one and a half. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's hard. I always struggle with movies like this because I'm like, well, this isn't to my taste. The plot doesn't really work. Yeah. But the production was good. And I do appreciate that. Yeah. You know what? No, I'm going to go one and a half because, like, I would never watch this again and I actually (laughs) found it a chore to finish it. (laughs) And it did not meet any of my frothy summer flick expectations. Okay, that's fair. Like, I would go back and watch Gidget, like, 50 more times before (laughs) I'd watch this movie again. Oh, my God. I, I agree. Although, I, this was the first time I, I think I, this is the first Esther Williams movie. It has not turned me off from Esther Williams. I would see a, a different Esther Williams movie. Yeah. Theoretically, one where there's, like, less cultural appropriation, fewer songs about sexual assault, and maybe more opportunities for her to be a badass. I would, I would like to see her swimming more. Like, she's an Olympic swimmer, and that is a skill set that not... All performers have, and I'd like to see it. It turns out. (laughs) (laughs) So, what's our next movie? Uh, Our next movie is a Rita Hayworth movie. That's all we've decided. Oh, so so is is it going to be a surprise? (laughs) (laughs) I guess so. (laughs) Is it going to be Gilda? I I think it might be Gilda. We'll tell you on Twitter (laughs) what it's going to be. Yeah, follow us on Twitter at the Screen Sirens. Or if you have a... We should do a poll. We should what do a poll. Rita Hayworth movie should yeah, okay, let, let's do that. We're doing a poll on Twitter. This you're seeing how the magic works behind <laughs> the scenes. <laughs> May it please the court, I submit that my entire line of defense is based on the proposition that persons of the female sex should be dealt with before the law as the equals of persons of the male sex. Follow the screen sirens on Twitter at the screen sirens. And leave us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud to help other people find us. Thanks for listening. After all, tomorrow is another day.